this is Mike and I's last Sunday together. Because my last Sunday, you're not going to be here. Am I going to catch a cold from you right now? Well, it'd be my last parting gift to you. How would that be? And I just want to tell you what an absolute joy it has been to serve week in and week out with Mike. Um, when I came and we would sit down and talk about, you know, when you're learning to work together in this kind of a situation, um, I'm not a micromanager at all. And so I would just simply say, Mike, we would talk about our services, say here's where we're going thematically, and I just simply want you to pick whatever the Holy Spirit leads you to do. And for six years, he has um, faithfully and marvelously honored that trust. And I just want to say this morning what a joy it has been to work with you here at First Mish. And I hope you understand, folks, that as worship leaders go, um, Mike is, is, a, is a rare person. Okay? So, amen. You're welcome. I know you will, but just continue to, to recognize the gift that God has given you and treat it as such. As we treat the gift, we treat the giver. Amen? Amen. Thank you, Mike. Well, turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6, 14 and 15, and I will try to race to the end of my notes before my voice gives out. How would that be today? I woke up a couple days ago with a cold. Not sure if it's a cold or allergies or what it is, but it's there. All right. Um, we're still in our series, Your Kingdom Come, and asking the Lord to help us to desire most deeply what Jesus taught most passionately. How many of you got up to watch the wedding yesterday? Raise your hands. Let me see. Wow, not many of you in this service. Like two, okay. So, um, my wife and daughter, one of my daughters, got up, watched the, the wedding, and uh, so it was interesting to me. I was listening later to an interview. If you didn't get a chance to see uh, the American priest who gave the the uh, service, who did the service, gave the sermon for the wedding. Uh, I'm guessing that the Royal Court Chapel has never quite heard a message like that. Um, very powerful, um, very impassioned. And I was listening later to a, a, a news piece interviewing him and the Archbishop, Archbishop there in, in at Canterbury. And, um, the interviewer noticed that there was this sign or banner or something that says, come your kingdom or come, come thy kingdom. And he said, what, what is that? And he said, it is a 10-day uh, prayer and fasting initiative that we're taking on that God would, that people would have in their hearts a prayer that would say, you know, basically inviting the restoring and healing power of Christ into their lives. And I thought, isn't it fascinating that here we are half a, half a world away and the Holy Spirit has us on the same theme as the Anglican Church, or the Church of England. And... Uh, I just thought that was neat. Today, we're going to be, as we're in this next segment, it is the segment of the practices of the kingdom. And Stephen Lane, Dathan talked to us about giving Stephen Lane um, the importance of finding that place of prayer. Last week, we 
presented to moms a model of prayer. And hopefully the rest of you maybe picked up on pieces of that that you can pray. And we come to verses 14 and 15 today. The practice of forgiving those who hurt us. And it's a practice, it's a discipline, because it's something, as all spiritual disciplines are, they are to be honed, worked on, repeated, developed, and strengthened throughout our life. Now, I, could, I would like to stand up here and say to you that when I was in school, uh, I was just a, a dedicated student. Uh, but we would be talking about a different kind of forgiveness that would be needed. But um, I do remember the story of Macbeth, simply because there was all the things necessary in that story to grab the attention of a teenage boy. Generals and kings and intrigue and murder and all kinds of stuff. And I thought that was pretty cool. Hey, we got to read that, and I went to a Christian school. I was like, whoa, I don't know how we missed that one in the... But anyway, it was interesting because Shakespeare did not claim to be a theologian, but he certainly had uh, at least the Bible's indication of the fact that humanity, that people uh, can become sick in their minds and their bodies when they are dealing with unresolved, unconfessed, and unforgiven sin. The story of Macbeth, if you remember, is a story of a general who becomes consumed with his own sense of power. And after having been prompted by three witches to usurp the throne, and then his wife, Lady Macbeth, spurs him on, he oversees the murder of, of Duncan, the king. And in that story, Lady Macbeth, later on, she, because of her role in it, she becomes absolutely consumed with a sense of remorse, and she literally begins to be just experience all these psychosomatic issues and dreams and uh, just became a mess because of the unconfessed murder that she participated in. And so Macbeth, he calls for the physician, and uh, the physician, in trying to, trying to help Macbeth understand what's happened to his wife, he says to Macbeth, he says this, he says, He's not, she's not sick, my lord, not so sick, as she is troubled with the thick-coming fancies that keep her from rest. And I can't think of a better way of describing the unforgiveness that oftentimes rolls around in the human spirit than the thick-coming fancies that just never seem to go away. And in other words, the physician told Macbeth that the problem, her problem uh, was in her mind and in her spirit. Macbeth then asked the doctor these words. It's a classic statement. Canst thou not minister to a mind diseased? Pluck from the memory a rooted sorrow. Raise out the written troubles of the brain. And with some sweet oblivious antidote, cleanse the stuffed bosom of that peril of stuff that weighs upon the heart. But no doctor can do that. That is the work of God. And it is the work of the Holy Spirit in us as we deal with issues of unforgiveness, unconfessed sin in our own lives. William Sadler wrote this quote, that a clear conscience is a great step forward to barricading the mind against neuroticism. 
John Stott in his little book, Confess Your Sins. He quotes the head of, the, of a large British hospital. Having said, he goes, I wish I could, dis-, he goes, I could dismiss half of my patients tomorrow if they were assured of forgiveness. It's been interesting to me through the years in dealing with vets, veterans, how many times veterans live and walk among us carrying profound guilt, wrestling with the issues that come with war. My dad, to the very end of his life, wrestled with those things. The heart needing assurance of forgiveness and wrestling with the hurt and the wounding of others is a very, very important journey for us as people. Before we get into these verses, I want to lay for you four really important principles. These are not in your notes. Because when we read the verses we're about to read today, we can misread them if we don't have these four statements clearly in our mind. They are four foundational biblical truths that precede the reality that we see in Matthew chapter 6, verses 14 and 15. These four truths are this, and you could draw this maybe as a box or a, pair, a, a triangle on your sheet. The base of that triangle is love. God's unconditional love toward us. It is the foundation of God's interaction with us. We do not deserve it. We receive it without any merit of our own. It is the foundation of his activity and reaching to us. The next one is a reality about us, and that is sin, and that it is universal. We have this loving God who reaches toward us, but the fact of the matter is this, is that all of humanity is broken and lives in a state of rebellion against God. The third is the issue of sacrifice, that in God's activity with us, he preemptively works, not waiting for us to make the first move. His sacrifice on our behalf through Christ, as we'll learn today, was his initiative. And on the top, there is this experience that we have of forgiveness and freedom, but it is conditional. It is conditioned on our confessing of our sin to God, accepting the authority of Jesus, following after him. So the freedom and the wholeness that his love has come to redeem us from sin and his sacrifice, preemptive sacrifice, sets us free is conditioned upon our receiving it. And so this morning, as we think about those four truths, I want us to understand that those things exist because what Jesus is describing, he is giving, remember, this is following a prayer that is given to his followers. And this is a teaching given to those who are following after Jesus. What we're seeing in these verses is we're seeing a picture of God's ongoing work of dealing with the issue of unforgiveness in the heart of those who follow after him. So I want us to kind of keep the order and these things in perspective this morning. What we're learning this morning is, first of all, this is that forgiving others is key to our own forgiveness. 
Now, forgiveness is very simply this. It is the releasing of a debt or obligation. Saying to a person who owes us something, you no longer owe me that. The bill is paid for. It is clear. So as you think about it in the realm of human relationships, there are things in our encounters with others that we feel that are somehow owed to us. We, just, we, we feel maybe that someone owed us respect in a situation at work and we were somehow demeaned or disrespected in some way. And it creates confusion and hurt in our heart. Maybe in a marriage there is a spouse who expects that person and, and says, man, you know, I was really hoping that I would receive a, a reaction of tenderness, but what you got was a reaction of harshness and, and not understanding. Maybe you're expecting there was a debt of, of faithfulness in some way, and what you received was unfaithfulness. So forgiving is saying this is what was owed and I'm releasing of you that. Matthew 6, 14 and 15, this now follows the teaching on prayer. And he says, if you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you refuse to forgive others, your Father will not forgive your sins. So to those who are on the journey to follow after Jesus, to be his followers, he says, you need to understand that, that the forgiveness that you long for in your own heart, that sense of release from the obligations that you know that you owed someone and you did not live up to it and you are eaten away with grief, whether it be toward God or toward them, he says, understand, the release that you're seeking is inextricably linked to your willingness to release others of the debt that you feel they owe you. You cannot disconnect them. We're not talking here about the issue of salvation. We're talking about the issue of just the forgiveness that we need, the, the, the peace and the life that God has come to give us in Christ. Hebrews talks about being careful that a root of bitterness does not grow up. He's talking to believers. So today, I want to kind of put that in perspective and, and that the forgiveness that some of us are longing for in here today and that we will long for the rest of our life, both from God and from others, requires our willingness. Notice what it says. There are two conditional statements. If you forgive, your Father will forgive you. If you refuse to forgive, your Heavenly Father will not forgive your sins. So how do we do this? It's really important, apparently. None of us in here want to live like Lady Macbeth with a life eaten of guilt, shame, because of our lives and what we've done to others, and we don't want to have that brokenness that so oftentimes occurs. So I want to begin by just giving you some things that Scripture shows us in the life of Jesus for us to walk in forgiveness. First of all is to forgive like Jesus. Forgive like Jesus. You see, he will later, Jesus will in Matthew 18, Peter will say to him, Lord, how many times should I forgive the person who sins against me? 
And we'll see in a little bit, Jesus says, you should forgive him 70 times 7. But, he goes, but let, me, let me tell you a story that really illustrates this better. And he goes on to tell a story about a man who owes a king a debt that he cannot repay. A lifetime of wages. Symbolic of the debt that you and I owe God for our sin we cannot deal with on our own. We owe that. And he says that man, because of the graciousness of the king, when he throws himself at the feet of the king, the man then receives pardon of this incredible debt. And what does he do? He goes out and he encounters somebody right away. And it's funny to me how many times this happens to us. He experiences the freedom of God, as it were, and then encounters someone who, in essence, owes him a fraction of that. And the man says, I can't pay this right now. The man who's just been forgiven, instead of showing mercy, has the man thrown into debtor's prison. And Jesus said, when the king found out, he was furious and he brought that first man to him. And the king said, what did you do? And Jesus, in verse 33, he says this in his response to that man who would not forgive the comparatively small thing. He says, shouldn't you have shown mercy on your fellow servant? And I want you to think about that verse, that statement, just as I had mercy on you. So if, I, and if you and I are going to have the ability to forgive other people, we need to really think hard about what that statement means for us. Just as I have had mercy on you. And if you're not aware of God's mercy, then I would say you've not really wrestled with the first four things we talked about today. If you're a person who lives with the sense of, you know what, I'm, I'm really pretty good. You have no idea. You've not yet walked in an awakening to those first four things. And that's where you need to begin today. God, how have you, Jesus, how have you had mercy on me? We need to forgive like Jesus. The question, how have you experienced the forgiveness of Christ? What does it look like for you? What is your story? Do you rehearse it? Do you remember it? We're going to take communion in a few moments. It is to remember what Jesus did for us. My dad used to remind me, he says, Don, never forget the pit from which you were dug. Don't ever forget the pit from which you were honed and brought out by the grace of Christ. We need to forgive preemptively. Our tendency is to say, well, I will be happy to forgive when they say I'm sorry. Problem is, that's not how Jesus forgives. In Luke chapter 23, verse 34, we see a picture there of Jesus on the cross, a picture of profound preemptive forgiveness. He is suffering, beaten, mocked, misunderstood, accused, and here he is as the soldiers are gambling for what shreds of dignity he had left, his clothes. He says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. They, these soldiers have not looked up and have not said to him, oh, dude, we shouldn't have just done that. That was bad. Somebody get, a, somebody get a hand. Let's take this guy down. We shouldn't have done that. No. 
The Jewish leaders haven't showed up and said, Jesus, we were wrong. We, now we get it. He is surrounded by people who are utterly clueless to what they've done. You may have someone in your life who has harmed you, and they are utterly clueless to the hurt that they have caused you. Don't wait for the light bulb to go off in their heart. Because Jesus wants to set you free from the unforgiving thing, the root of bitterness that will grow in your heart if you don't. If you don't take that burden, that debt, and say, you don't owe it. So I ask you this morning, from whom have you withheld forgiveness waiting for them to make the first move? God was in Christ before the foundations of the earth, bringing us to himself. We need to forgive urgently. Now, we've talked about this, so I just want to, but I just want to remind you that forgiveness needs to be done quickly and urgently and not allowed to build up in our life unforgiveness. So Jesus, remember he told us in Matthew 5, we talked about these verses, that if you're presenting a sacrifice at the altar of the temple and you suddenly remember that someone has something against you, in other words, you owe them, you have, you have, there's a debt on your part toward that person. Leave your sacrifice there at the altar. Go and be reconciled to that person. Them and come and offer your sacrifice. Notice the suddenlies. When you realize that, hey, when you're there and God's in, your, in worship and God says, hey, listen, you've got some stuff that you need to straighten out, maybe with your husband, your wife, your kids, someone you didn't handle that situation well. You need to go solve it quickly. Resolve it. In Mark eleven twenty five, 25, similar text, Jesus said, but when you're praying, first forgive anyone you are holding a grudge against. Holding a grudge. A grudge is that rehearsed hurt that we just go over and over and over so that when we see people, we don't offer kindness or a smile or whatever else. We walk into a restaurant and we see somebody, we walk out for fear we're going to have to actually talk to them. We don't go to a family reunion because we know that brother or sister is there and we've just rehearsed for decades their hurt against us. The Lord is asking us today to extend forgiveness. So I want to ask you today, whom do you need to forgive right now, today, before you walk out of this room. You need to say about the debt, it's paid. I will not view you through the lens of this offense any longer. Forgiving repeatedly. How many of you have noticed that in your journey in Christ, there are some lessons you've had to relearn? We don't get it the first time, do we? I, I haven't. Maybe some of you, you got that down. The Holy Spirit says something to you. You're like, oh, I got that. Thank you. And boom, you're off. You're good. That has not been my story. The Lord has had to teach me some things over and over, and I likely are going to have to be that the rest of my life. I'm like that car, you know, that is out of alignment, and when you let go of the steering wheel, it always goes right. If the Holy Spirit doesn't keep my steering wheel at center, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hit the curb or worse. It's just the nature of people. We're imperfect. We are saved 
not because we get it right. We are saved because of the atoning work of Jesus Christ, period. Don't ever say to yourself, man, you know, I hope someday I can get it right so when I get ready to die, I've, I've dotted all the I's, crossed all the T's. If you're waiting for that moment, you will never die with a sense of security. Your hope is Jesus, period. None other. That's it. So Jesus, in teaching the, the importance of repeated forgiveness, in our story in Matthew 18, there he says to Peter, when Peter says, how many times do I forgive? The sin against me, seven times? No, not seven times, Jesus, but 70 times seven. And it's really important, I want you to catch this for a moment, because some of you here today might think that you, with your relationship with God, have went to number 491. And you may say to yourself, you know what, God, I just don't think this thing is beyond your forgiveness. Will not the one who calls us to forgive 70 times 7 also forgive us with such incredible generosity and grace in our journey to become like Jesus? Your Father knows that you're not going to get it the first time, the second time, the third time, the fourth time, or the 400th time, and that you and I need the ongoing cleansing of the power of the Holy Spirit. So I give that to you today just in case there's somebody here who's just really not certain in their own journey. But Jesus calls us because if we are that way in our relationship with God, let's not be surprised when we run into that in our relationships with others. Our marriages, our parenting, our work relationships, that boss who is and has been every Monday morning, you want to say, dude, you should have slept in 10 more minutes. You know who they are, okay? 70 times seven, repeatedly. Luke 17, four, Jesus said, even if that person who comes to you and says, forgive me, and we forgive them, he says, even if that person wrongs you seven times a day each time and turns again, repents, there's the word repent, and asks forgiveness, you must forgive. When you see that spirit of contrition in a person that says, listen, wait, I know I've asked you to forgive me of this a hundred times. I mean, I can't tell you how many times in my marriage with Nancy, I have there's a couple of spots that are just default for positions for me, and it creates hurt. And you have to go back and you have to revisit those hurts. Because it hurts as bad today as it did 30 years ago. It's the nature of human interactions. Forgive each other. So today, for whom do you need to give, do you need God to give you persevering forgiveness? Persevering forgiveness. And then finally today, the Lord is calling us to forgive genuinely. If we're to forgive so that we might receive forgiveness, we need to forgive from a very important position. And there in Matthew 18, 35, as Jesus is, is then in the parable explaining it and explaining how in the story the king has the man 
taken and he is put into prison where there is an incredible suffering. You see, the Lord will not release us from the suffering of our own places of unforgiveness until we release others. That's the story of Matthew 6 and of Matthew 18. The release that you want so desperately, you need to look around, look at your own heart and say, God, where do I need to release others? And he says, that's what my heavenly father will do to you if you refuse to forgive your brothers and sisters. And those last three words, from your heart. And friends, I don't know about you, but in my life, works of the heart are works that require the Holy Spirit's activity. I can't do that on my own. Holy Spirit, come and help me. I want to forgive from the heart. I want my heart to release my brother, my sister, my son, my daughter, my husband, my wife, my brother, my sister, my mom, my dad. The person you may need to release today may not even be alive. But there is still this unseen but enormous burden of an unmet obligation. So what is forgiveness as we close today? It's this. Forgiveness is a response. What God is calling us to is a response to for the forgiveness that we have received. So Holy Spirit, please help me to see the depth of my own forgiveness. It is a decision of the will. You and I will likely never feel like forgiving. You just got to do it. You just got to say, you know what? That debt in our heart toward that person, you're free. It is a process that needs to be repeated. It needs to be repeated because in our interactions, like all of us, other people do the same things oftentimes over and over, just like we do. And that hurt that we have, the enemy's gonna try to bring that up as a reminder over and over, and you're just gonna have to choose over and over. No, that was a debt that was already released. And finally, it's necessary, but it is distinct. Forgiveness is necessary, foundational, but distinct from rebuilt trust and restored relationship. Rebuilt trust takes time. And there are some people who may be in your life you need to forgive whose behavior is so dangerous, toxic, that the pushing into a relationship is not a good place. But you can still forgive. You can still release. Release. 